Good morning, everybody. How'd you sleep? <clears throat> Not really. <laughs> Nor I. I woke up at four. My room was 63 degrees, and I complained, just to let you all know. <clears throat> all right, you have a Bible, I hope, uh, or a smart app or whatever. Um, uh, John chapter 12, and just kind of get there, hover, and I'll meet you there in a second. <clears throat> Excuse me if my throat gives out. I got a bunch of stuff I'm working on um, besides this sermon. So there won't be a lot of addresses in this thing. This will be just a between you and me kind of conversation in total. Um, Preaching is one of those things that is hard to define. It's the mysterious part of how God takes his word and applies it to multiple people at the same time in a perfect way. Like God writes sermons for for the church. And so part of what I'm hoping and have been praying that God would do is that he'd write a sermon for all of you individually today. Uh, obviously, we're going to deal with a subject matter, but I think it's so common to man that all of us will leave here going, well, I got to think about that. So um, it's interesting. Um, I need to say this because I thought it in the back. I don't know a lot of you um, at all, but I want you to know, even just generally speaking, how much I love you. Uh, I, I used to do student ministry a long time. One of my greatest passions is probably, if I'm honest, the greatest passion I have is how God raises up just generation after generation of people to, to be his representation in the world, to be his ambassadors, to lead his church, to care for others. <clears throat> so my biggest passion has always been how God does that, and you represent a generation that's in the process. I see what you do around our church. I see how you love each other and care for each other and meet each other's needs, and it just moves me deeply. So even though I don't know you, like a lot of you, I'm very proud of you, and I love you. So I want you to know that before we get into it, okay? That's not a setup to try. I'm going to beat you later. I won't do that. So <clears throat> it's just I needed to say that. Okay, it's interesting if you were to grab the scriptures and look for the issues of man. And that by issues, I mean sin, struggles, problems. What are the, what are the issues for us? They, they kind of sort of show up in the very beginning of Genesis and sort of reveal themselves in total by the time you get to Exodus. I mean, I don't think there's a sin, a struggle under heaven that hasn't already been expressed a long, long time ago. You're not inventing new sin. It has always been there. In, in fact, one of them that I want to talk about this morning that shows up really early is this issue of fear of man. In fact, if you, uh, if you know Solomon, the wisdom writer, <clears throat> he mentions this about the fear of man. He says, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. Traps are meant to take people down, to ruin people. And so he, he kind of states that as an absolute statement about the fear of man. And you, from the very beginning, you just see it revealing itself over and over again. You can't even make it through even sort of at the beginning in Exodus when God's people who have, who have been uh, oppressed, enslaved, <clears throat> excuse me, 400 years, and God starts showing up for them. He, he brings them a deliverer. He starts doing miracles to to get Pharaoh and the Egyptians to realize that there's a God they don't want to fight with to, to free his people. And you, you know the stories. I don't need to go through that. But over and over again, just clearly God, clearly God. And when they get out in the wilderness, God again delivers for his people over and over again. And he's taken them someplace, a land of their own, a place to call home. And you're on the precipice of it. You get in Numbers, I think, chapter 13. And so Moses sends out spies to go look at the land that God said that, that would be theirs. And 
the spies go out and they come back and they say, wow, it is exactly what he said. I mean, God's not lying. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, take, take for a second that they have in their recent memory all the amazing things that God has done to get them to that point. Nevertheless, what the text says, it just blows my mind is, yeah, it's exactly like God said, except for there are giants that live there, i.e., we can't do it. It's not going to happen. We're afraid of them, fear of men. We're afraid of those people. They can ruin us. And so that's an example. There's another example you're probably really familiar with. Uh, of the disciples of Jesus, there is one that I love his demeanor, not because he does things right. I just relate to him. Um, Peter, he seems to be uh, act first and think last. That's my nature. And, and so he, he's sincere. He's just wrong a lot. You know, he does things from passion and, and doesn't think things through. And one of those was when Jesus said, hey, listen, Peter, I, this is going to be a tough time for you. I'm going to go suffer. I've been telling you about this sacrifice for a long time, but you're not going to even stick with me. You're going to, in fact, deny me three times. And Peter made the statement, it ain't never happening. You don't know me. And it wasn't even many hours later that he denies him. Peter, the tough guy, denies Jesus in front of a slave girl. He was so worried about what a slave girl would do to him by, by just accusing him of his association with Jesus, he bailed on his relationship. He said, I don't know him. And it happened again. And then it happened again. Fear of man is what caused that in Peter. There's another passage in John. It, it's, the, it's interesting because of the way Jesus wraps up this experience with a truth that I want to leverage for us today. In verse 42, um, there is a scenario of, of a, a group of people, many people that are following after Jesus. And let me just kind of set it up so you know what's going on here. Many people have seen what Jesus has done. Miracles, undeniable transformations. They've heard the words of Christ and they're like, they're like honey to the ears, man. No one's ever said the stuff that Jesus has said. No one has ever talked about us in such a way that I can't escape that narrative, you know? Like it's so precise, it goes right to the core of the issue. And he speaks like no one's ever spoken. His, his uh, power is obvious and it's clear. And here's what, here's what the text tells us in 42. Nevertheless, and he's, that, that statement is based on the fact that it says earlier that there were many people who wouldn't believe in him. But nevertheless, here it is, that that even many, even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Well, there's, a, there's another example of people who followed Christ in their hearts, their emotions, their affections, but they were worried about a group of people called the religious elite, the Pharisees, right? And the reality was this, if I follow Jesus, I lose my culture, Culture, the synagogue, culture, the religion, culture, the family, the whole thing, I get booted, excommunicated if I follow Christ. This is a high cost thing for us. So um, their reputations were on the line. What would people say? Where would their standing be in the community? I'm certain that it connected even to profit or, or making a living. Right? If people just decided to say, I'm not going to shop with you, I'm not going to work with you because of your declaration of Jesus, it's all over. And so because of that fear, they uh, refuse to admit it. Now, it's interesting that Jesus in the next verse tells us why. And this is where I think the, the strength of our talk today will be. He says in 43, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. There you have it. 
God's own words about our problem. Fear of man, it's a, man, it comes and it goes, and there's lots of reasons. Some of them seem reasonable at one level. But as God assesses it, he says, listen, you're more interested, we're more interested in what we get from people than what we get from God. And therein lies the, the problem and, and the challenge, okay? And it seems at first blush, one sentence so easy to read, but what, what John is trying to do is shock us. Because the contrast and compare between glory of man and glory of God should blow your mind. It should stop you in your tracks and go, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why would anybody choose glory from people, a fleeting glory, a conditional glory? Why would anybody pick that kind of glory versus the glory from God? It seems absurd, right? Win the ultimate lottery or dig in the trash heap. What's your choice? And to, to Jesus, he's making this statement like they, they thought one glory was better than another. And when we look at people like that, it's easy to make that assessment and judgment. You, you blew it. Follow Jesus, no problem. But we all struggle with this issue. Um, so why would they choose to do that? Why, why, would, why would these representatives of the nations of Israel go out and spy out the land to only come back and say it is exactly, God kept his word. It's just like he said. Why would they say, no, we're afraid of the people? Why would Peter, at a moment of being asked whether he belongs to Jesus, decide that a 10 or 12-year-old girl is too much pressure for him to say, yes, he is mine and I'm his? Why would he bail on that? Well, the problem is, is, is obvious. And I want to describe it a little bit. I was reading a, in a devotion recently, and, and they, I, they got to the essence of it, at least part of the essence of it. And I think there's way more to this discussion than we can do in, in these 30 minutes. But let me just deal with some of this. Um, everybody in here knows you did not create yourself. Some 20, 30 years ago, you didn't wake up and say, time to, to be. You, you'd know that. You didn't choose your DNA. You didn't choose your family. You didn't choose your intellect. You didn't choose your physical makeup. You didn't choose any of that. You are what you are because something else happened to make you. We all would agree with that. We are not autonomous people. And we instinctively know we fit into a bigger picture. There's another story going on. It's not just you. Your interactions with all these people, family and friends, and even in your future, it's all a part of it. We didn't create our own meaning or our own purpose. We're a part of something. We, we know that. We're a part of something that's going on. But here is the problem of this fear of man. What do we do in the midst of a sinful world, confusing thoughts, fleeting security. What do, what do we do, okay? We can't help it. We derive our value and meaning from external sources. And at some level, it's okay. If you choose to understand and come to the conclusion, I didn't make myself and there's, I'm part of a bigger story, if you conclude that he is the external, external source, you're great. But what people do is choose other external sources like themselves. And therein lies the problem. We instinctively know that somehow this, this, this quality that we have, this value that we have, comes from, from, to us from someone else. But there's, a, there's an issue. And it boils down to this. Let me just read this quote. The person to whom we ascribe most authority to divine who we are and what we're worth and what we should do and how we should do it is the person we fear the most because it's the person whose approval we must have 
And in essence, they are our, our functional God. This is the really scary part. No one would ever say that the people you're most afraid of are your God. But that fear, that respect, that authority, that platform to shape you for whatever reasons, even twisted reasons, is truly a functional deity. They deserve it, or for whatever reasons, they, they get it. And, and there, is the, there is the problem, right? Every one of us in this room understand that problem. We know it. We know what it feels like to desperately want to be respected at all costs, to want to be included. Um, we are terrified, some of us terrified of being overlooked and undervalued, fear of man. Some of us uh, want people desperately to think you're beautiful or you're handsome or you're intelligent. And so you create, create and craft a reputation or a behavior pattern that gets you what you want the most, all right? We are okay with treating other people poorly as long as that gets us to a platform of respect and value, or we're willing to be treated poorly as long as that gets us to a place of value in some level. Um, some of us will choose to, uh, to live a life to be noticed, even if it says the wrong thing about you, as long as you're noticed because of insecurity and the fear of man. We have a tendency, our culture, not yours, unique, but true of all time on all people. We're, we choose to fool around, sleep around, and get around to be loved. That's one of the ways that we choose to find this artificial version of value, right? Everyone has this longing to be known, to be accepted, to be loved, and we'll take even small perverted versions of it. Um, we'll compromise our convictions for people who don't even like us. Which, which should be a dead giveaway. It should catch us in our tracks, but it really doesn't. And I don't even want to go down the track of what we do with Jesus in the midst of this. He is not a popular figure in our culture. You, you, you can't really declare him as an authority. You can, you can say him in the midst of other many options. You can't call him the exclusive if you do what will happen, you know? So let me give you a small series of questions, like a test. And, and this is like the Holy Spirit part of this preaching thing. This is where um, maybe if you're honest, if you're willing to even look inside, you'll, you'll find these places, these parts of you that struggle with the fear of man. But let me just ask, there's a series of questions. Do you need people's approval? What do you think? Do, do you need um, that? Are you afraid to be yourself? Do you spend any amount of time crafting your reputation? Do you actually make it a part of your practice? Like, I need to be known for this. I want to be that. Are you overly concerned about how you look, how much you weigh? Do you spend time in the mirror, too much time in the mirror? Do you get your self-esteem from other people? Do you find yourself of strength from others? This is the sneaky part. Do you shift blame to avoid being wrong? Like, I, I can't handle not being right, so it's somebody else's fault. Do you show favoritism to people you think are a little bit above you to climb into some social sphere that makes you feel better about yourself? Do you neglect people who you think are below you because they can't? See, these are all, like, really particulars, and I suppose we could just keep building on that list, but my assumption is, in fact, I'm pretty certain of this, is that in these questions, everyone in here has 
been there at some level, at some point. These are things that we struggle with, okay? So if that's true, then I would say this fear of man thing is in us. Now, I don't really have to tell you what a horrible way to live that is, do I? How much work do I have to do to say, okay, by the way, okay, church, it's really, it really sucks to live with the fear of man. It's brutal. I don't have to convince you of that. I hope uh, it is, as the scriptures describe, a prison, a snare, a trap. It's what it is. Um, the idol of people's approval will own you. And the scars of living under that are absolutely brutal. And some of us are buried under the mountain of guilt that come with living that way. It's just killing us. The compromises we've made simply to be accepted, the lines that we've crossed, the secrets that we keep, the shame that you bear up under simply because I was trying to find it some other way, trying to get it some other way. And, and I have to ask you why. Like if I forced you to be really transparent and honest, why do you do it? And, and I, you know, I think it sounds something like this. So that somebody who doesn't, we don't really know, who doesn't really love us, will think something about us that isn't even true. I can't be me. Don't want to be me. Because if I'm me, I have no value. And, and that's why we do these things. And that is, I don't have to tell you seriously, jacked up. Nothing grips mankind more fiercely than the fear of man. It was in the very beginning, and it has never ceased. It has always been there, and it grips most people. In fact, uh, not to punk it too much, but it is so great that we have now in our culture, because we can, invented ways to just live here in the fear of man. We've invented tools to help us live in the fear of man. Uh, no judgment, feel no judgment. I'm not, a, I'm not a computer guy, I'm not a social media guy, but from my vantage point, it is a tool used to propagate a reputation that most of the time isn't totally clear. Because I don't see people putting on their Twitter feeds or Instagram, hey, I suck today. I, I really screwed up today. We present ourselves in ways we feel like the world out there who hits the like button will go, oh, they're cool. They do it right. In fact, there's a whole market out there who just leverage reputation that isn't true so they can make money. And, and we do that. Um, so we live, I think Paul told me this once, we live for the like they can like your status, they can like your picture, they can like your life events, they can like your relationship, they can like your music, they can like your clothes, they can like whatever, right? They just, you put it out there and they have an ability to say something about it. And we love that. We love that. We get way too much from that. Every day, all day, in everything, your status can be graded by the likes of the masses who don't really care about you. Does it sound nuts? I'm not, I won't even tell you what to do with it. I'm just saying, well, let's, let admit, let's at least admit it. That sounds nuts to me, to be put in that kind of position. So where does it come from? Why is this struggle so intense? Let, let me try to explain it. And again, I, I told you I wasn't gonna take you to a lot of texts. So I'm gonna take you back to your memories of texts. This whole problem began in the beginning. Uh, let me prove my point. Genesis chapter one, God made 
That's what God does. He's a creating God. He, by the power of his words, speaks into nothing, everything that is, and then he calls what he made by the power of his word, good. That's what he said. That's what he said of us. He said in verse 31, it is very good. The pinnacle, in other words, of God's creation, mankind. Very good. In fact, in Psalm 8, David says that he crowned man with glory and honor. So just take the narrative from what you know of Genesis chapter one and even David's conclusion of what God did by Genesis chapter one. God said, I made you very good, crowned with glory, crowned with honor. Sounds like you couldn't get a better script than that, okay? But then you end up with Genesis three. Adam and first man and woman decided that God's word wasn't reliable, that somehow God may have been holding out on them decided to go against the word of God, and we know this, and in that one act, plunged themselves and all of their descendants into this condition called natural sin. Sinful hearts, like bent against God, born in iniquity, at war. Like you come out of the womb at war with your creator. That's the condition of sin. And that's the problem of of that event. And what happened in that event is that we lost God's approval. We go from its perfect glory and honor to ducking and covering because now we're under the judgment of God. He said, if you sin, you will die. That's the consequence for this running away from the authority of God. And so Adam, as a guilty sinner, he lost the glory and honor of which he was made. And so what did he do? Well, he tried to get it back. Clearly, when you make a bad deal, you try to get out of the deal. Like, uh uh-oh, I was dead wrong. This thing called sin created a shame and a guilt. I I don't know what to do with. What do I do? What do I do with my shame? Well, the only thing he could think of do was to hide it. So he sews fig leaves together to hide his guilt and shame. Just think about the simplicity of that event. Like, God doesn't see that. Like, God doesn't know something's going on. But there was nothing else he could do. I've got all this problem now that was created by my rebellion. So how do I deal with my problem? This distance I feel from God, the shame that I feel for my behavior, well, I'll cover it up. And I'll cover it up with fig leaves. And maybe my fig leaves will get my glory back. Maybe if I just hide my nakedness, all that honor and all that perfection will be mine again. Well, I don't have to tell you that that doesn't happen that way. That is not at all what happened. And so if we fast forward to our life, We are in the same boat as Adam and Eve. We were created uh, for the glory of God, but we lost it due to our sin. And we try to get it back too. And the only difference is we don't use fig leaves anymore. We use everything else, which is the explanation for the fear of man. I feel this. I've done this. I am this. So how do I solve it? Well, I can change who it is that I find favor with. If I consider what others think of myself over what God thinks of me, then maybe I can find some sense of purpose, some sense of strength there. And so that's what we do. So we cover our sin and shame with other things, but I don't have to tell you that sin destroys us and distorts us. And so what we spend the rest of our life doing is fighting over time and trying to shore up this sagging sense of self that we lost in our rebellion with God. We were born distorted. And so everything else is an attempt, humanly speaking, to try to fix the distortion, to shore up the problem. Maybe, maybe, 
Maybe if they like me, maybe if I become this, maybe that guilt and shame will go away. You, you, I don't even think you've ever thought those words. It's just a behavior. It's like an instinct. It's like the blink of an eye. You can't hold it open. If I poke you in the eye, your eye will blink. It's an instinct. There's an instinct in man. I got to fix it. How do I fix it? Well, maybe if I'm liked, maybe I'm accepted. Maybe this sin and guilt will go away. If I was pretty enough, if I was wealthy enough, if I liked enough, if I was approved of enough, if I had enough friends, if certain people accepted me, if I was loved by that crowd, maybe, maybe all these burdens I carry, maybe they'll dissipate, maybe they'll shrink, maybe they'll disappear. And there lies the problem. Listen, I'm gonna tell you what you already know, but we have to say it. Apart from God, any and every attempt to fix or prop up how you feel about yourself is simply a modern thing belief, and it will not work. It can't work. If you try to find any sense of worth and God isn't the pinnacle of it, you're waiting for disappointment. It's just a matter of time. It, it can't deliver. It has no ability to do that. The problem is too great. The hole in our heart is too massive, and we cannot fill it ourselves, but it doesn't stop us from trying. And our number one go-to solution, mankind's go-to solution from the very beginning of time is, hey, maybe I can get it from others. If I can't get it from God, maybe I can get it from others. And so we, we pursue that. But here's the problem. Having people like you doesn't fix the hole, does it? It doesn't. And, and you know this because you can be accepted at one point in your life, right? Let's just say the most awkward point of your life. In junior high, if you dress a certain way, you're okay. Well, just stay that. Just don't ever move from junior high. You will not be accepted anymore. You have to keep moving or you get lost in the shuffle. And here's why I think it's so absurd for us to choose that as a direction because it's interesting, right? Broken people hoping that the acceptance of other broken people would fix what's broken in us sounds like spiritual insanity, doesn't it? It, doesn't, it, can't, it can't work that way. The only way to restore the glory that we lost in the garden, the only way to have it back is to be accepted by God through a relationship with Jesus. Amen. There is no other way. And people like to talk about Jesus as the conclusion to getting out of this place and into heaven. And I'm going to suggest to you that is true, but that's the, not the ultimate good. The ultimate good is getting you back into a relationship to God to find your satisfaction there. That's what the ultimate joy of Jesus is. So, so I'm going to tell you what you already know, but I don't want you to just blow it off, okay? Here, here's the reality of this problem, this great chasm that can only find its resolve in a relationship with Jesus, okay? I'm gonna tell you the gospel, and the gospel is not the 101. You might go, I've heard it before. Man, I've heard it from birth. It's no big deal. Give me something deeper. There isn't anything deeper than the gospel. It's not the 101. It's the A to Z. It's everything you need for your life. You need to preach it every day to yourself. You need to hear it all the time. That's why every good sermon has the conclusion that gospel, the good news that Jesus saves us from this mess. And the mess, most of the time, isn't what other people are doing to us. It's what our own broken spirit does to us. We need that rescue. Receive God's gospel. And let me just say this, okay? I know some of you, maybe many of you, have already determined what you feel about Christ, but I'm pretty certain some of you haven't. Some of you are here for the other part, the relationship part. Glad you're here. 
And I'm glad you're received by the people. But I want you to be received by somebody greater than the people in this room to know Christ. The only true glory and acceptance that really matters in this world, in this life, is the glory and acceptance that comes through God, through Christ. Period. It's the only one that really matters. Because God can restore the glory. Only he can bring the right kind of acceptance and approval. Let me take you through the narrative of this good news that we confess and we believe and we sing every time we get together. Jesus is the only one who ever, never lost his glory and acceptance. Perfect relationship, perfect security all the time. This Jesus leaves heaven and comes to earth to take on a body like we have, to willingly go to the cross to suffer, to die in the place of sinners who can't get out of their own way. That's the narrative of the good news. So understand it. Jesus, the only accepted one, gets rejected so that those of us who are rejected can be accepted, and there is no other way. We are all rejected because of our sin. We were made in the image of God, the way things line up and feel right and are right is when we are living under the authority of God, but sin has distanced us from God and all the messes that we create, trying to solve it on our own just creates more distance, all right? But Jesus, in Christ, this one who is fully accepted in God, puts himself in the position of being ridiculed and rejected so that you and I can get back to him, can get back to the Father Jesus was punished, and you know this, as if he was guilty for people who truly are guilty so that we could be treated like we're not. I love that. And it comes through faith to believe that Jesus is the son of God, to believe that he died our, our death, to believe that he rose again, to have power over Satan, sin, and death, to give that to us. That is the confession that we make. We admit our need. We confess our sins. When we prayed beforehand, I thought to myself, how many people are truly gonna confess it all in here? We're going to sit and pray for like a minute. You're going to gut yourself? I doubt it. We're all holding back because we're still terrified. And I don't suggest it as a good thing to do, by the way. You get close enough to somebody, maybe. But in a mass setting like this, we all went total transparent. Man, we'd all leave. Scared to death about each other. But here's the reality of this. We do admit it to Jesus. We gut ourselves to him in faith. We don't come pretending. We can't pretend. You can't fake him. You can't put yourself in some kind of artificial, like, like Instagram version of yourself to God. You can't put yourself out there and go, oh, man, he's pretty. Oh, she's good looking today. She seems like she has her act together. She knows what she's doing in her life. She needs this much salvation. No, no, you, you just say it, right? You confess Jesus as who he is and what he accomplished, and you admit your need. Like, I have this massive hole in my heart. I am this person. And let me just bum you out really severely. You, you, you're, you're somewhere between, you're in the 20s, right? You're on your way to 30 plus, okay? Here's what I know. Here's what I know in this. You have yet to discover how deep the hole is. And I'm not telling you that because I want to hurt you. I'm trying to tell you the deception of sin you just don't know. And when you get into other platforms of life, like marriage or children or retirement, or whatever, guess what you discover? A whole bunch of other crap that was never visible when you were younger. I didn't realize how selfish I was, how angry I was, how wandering my heart is, how much I long for other things. It just keeps coming. You just keep get revealed and revealed, which is a gracious act of God, by the way. It is no fun, but it is grace. So 
we in, in this confession by faith in Jesus alone, we no longer define ourselves by what we do or where we've been or what we've done. We don't do that anymore. Trusting in Christ alone displaces all of the things that we're trying to define ourselves by. And we just simply say, right, I'm fully loved and fully accepted in Christ as I am. No hiding, no makeup, no fake anything. He sees it all. Let me give you another part of this. I, maybe this is too grand antidote to the fear of man. Well, live for the glory of God, not your own glory. The trap that most of us end up finding ourselves in is that um, all-consuming thought about what others think of you. And the key word in that sentence is the word you. You are too important. You matter too much. You are the reason why you're so desperate for the approval of others. You, that's, that's not a very big desire. That desire has to be replaced by something grander. Jesus is our example. Live truly a life of rejection by choice. He put himself in harm's way. He was betrayed by his closest friends. He was denied, abandoned, falsely accused, ridiculed. The shame and kill on the cross. That is our Lord and Savior. And he did it all for one reason. He says, for the glory of his Father. The reason why he could put himself in a low position with others is because he was in a high position with his Father. The glory of God mattered to him. He was the freest, let me suggest this to you, he's the freest man who ever walked the planet because he was not controlled by the fear of man ever. Free. And that's, that's kind of the title of our talk this weekend, is this freedom. The freedom of God that deals with things like our anxieties and our worries and our fear of man and and So um, Jesus lived for the glory of God. So to be truly set free by Jesus means to be set free from anything but God. To be set free from all the other idols and all the other expectations. So we can live with this all-consuming desire to not think about us anymore, right? To live for the words of God, well done, good and faithful servant. Seems like a, a way better thing to want to like than whoever, right? Let me give you one last thing and we'll pray. I, I think part of the expression of our freedom in being fully accepted in God is that we would be choosing to enjoy the mission of God. Not willing to do, which is part of it, but enjoy, which is going all the way to the affections of God. And, and, and let me just boil down the mission of God to something really simple. He said, Matthew 22, love me with everything you've got. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give me all of it. Have you ever loved anything like that? I, I would suggest to you, all of us have our versions. All of us have moments, maybe longer moments, 10 years of when we're going, man, that's all I got. Pick a hobby, pick a person, Pick a thing, an aspiration, whatever it is, and it gets your energies and your time and your money, man. You're giving it all. All, all this grand command, grand mission of God is just focus your affections, all of your affections, the best that you have on him. And to clarify how that would look, he says, and here's the second commandment. It's like the first command. In fact, I would just kind of paraphrase it. The only way to fulfill the first commandment is do the second one. Love your neighbors yourself. Love others. That's how we live in that grand mission of God to love other people. 
And I would suggest to you that you cannot love others when the fear of man is controlling you. Because fear of man means you can't love others. That's, that's what it means. You use others. Because other people are essential to your self-worth and your image. You understand? Truly loving is freedom from any expectation of the other person. But if your relationships with everyone, family, friends, whatever, is because they give you some sense of worth, then you're using everybody. And you're loving no one. If we're going to really be free of the fear of man, we need to be satisfied, fully satisfied in the grand mission of God. And that is to love him with everything we've got by loving everyone freely without agenda. Does that make sense? So God's mission for us is to express our love for him by loving other people. So if we really understand how much we are loved and how much we are accepted fully and completely in Christ, if we understand how fearfully and wonderfully made that we are, how intentional and precise God was in his creation of us, that he doesn't make mistakes, he does his will, well then, you're gonna start loving people like Jesus does and has, laying down your life for their good, right? Instead of asking them to be your good which is ultimately the fear of man. Will you be my good? I'm, I don't need Jesus right now. I need you to be my good. And here's the wonderful freedom of this. If I could trade out all the artificial versions and places where you have tried to get esteem and worth and purpose, I said, let me give me, give me all the fake ones. And let me give you a real one that doesn't dissipate, doesn't wander, doesn't get disinterested, is eternal and faithful and true and good in ways I can't define. Like it's just give me the garbage, give me the fake and artificial, and here's the real one. Would you want it? Would you like to be free of going, man, I'm just terrified of everything. If I don't mount to something, man, my dad's gonna think this. If I don't do this, then that group will not call me on Friday and I don't wanna sit here alone. Lord knows that. Would you trade in the artificial for the real? And I'll just suggest to you that is the statement of every good news that we've ever portrayed here, and that is the good news that Jesus loves you. He accepts you fully. He covers all the mess. He paid for the mess on the cross. The mess is gone now, according to David. As far as east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us, the reputation from us, the consequence from us, because God poured all of that garbage out on his son. And you are now are free, free. True freedom. Does that sound like good news? I think so. Let's, let's thank God for it. Father, I thank you for your love, your eternal, faithful, purposed love for us. We had a moment of confession earlier, so let me just give a corporate confession. God, we're screwed up. We're lost and sometimes, many times, we are completely confused on what matters most. But even in our efforts to belong and to be accepted, it is a statement of need that you made us to know you, to be fully accepted in you. And so when we're confused and when we're lost, we wander to the wrong places. So God, we confess that this morning as our sin. To look to find that in, in anything other than you is, is sin. So God, help us be restored back to our senses about the good news 
that Jesus died to take all that mess, to take all that shame, that confusion, and bring us truly to a place of life and peace and joy and freedom. We can say thank you now, God, as you grow us into the image of Christ even more. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus.